Amen. And good morning. So good to see all of you. My name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here at City Church and a joy to worship together with you as um, we sing that song, that last song, thinking about worshiping King Jesus forever. Um, I couldn't help but think about uh, when my children were younger and we would travel on road trips. I'm sure some of you have experienced this similar phenomenon. Uh, as we would travel, they would ask, uh, how long are we going to, uh, how long is it going to take for us to get there? Or they'd ask, when are we going to get there? Or whatever the question might be, uh, whether it was 30 minutes or 30 hours, the same response from them would be, oh, it's going to take forever. And they would, they would just be, be just grieving the fact that we were going to have to be stuck in a car for some period of time forever, whatever that might be, have meant to them. But when we think about worshiping Jesus, we will truly worship him forever, forever and ever. And sometimes we think about that and our minds get a little bit preoccupied with ourselves and wondering like, well, what does that mean exactly we will do? Will we be singing forever? Will we be enjoying his creation forever? There's all of those things wrapped up. But here's what I want you to focus your attention on when you think about that fact that we'll worship King Jesus forever is the fact that he will rule forever, forever. There is no end to his rule, to his authority, to his reign That is what is so powerful, what's so amazing is that every power that has ever existed on the earth is finite. As much as it seems as if those things are forever, seems like they're long, there's there's tenure and all those types of things, every kingdom will fall and the only kingdom that will remain forever is the kingdom of God with Jesus as ruler and authority over all, which is a beautiful thing. As we've come into this Advent series, we've paused. We've been working our way in the past months through the book of of Acts. Yes, not the book of Advent, through the book of Acts. And uh, we have paused that study in the book of Acts to look at um, some Old Testament prophecies about Jesus. In Acts chapter 16, through our study in the book of Acts, we saw Paul, when he would go into the cities, he most often, if there was a synagogue available, he'd go into the synagogue and he would, as it says in Acts 16, reason from the scriptures. He would take the word of God, and he would explain how all of the scriptures pointed to the reality that Jesus was the Messiah. He did this because that's what Jesus himself did. You may remember on the road to Emmaus, which I've referenced a few times in the last few weeks, Jesus meets his despondent disciples, disciples who feel like everything in the last three years of their life had been wasted because their, their Messiah, Jesus, had died on a cross. They saw him die on a cross. He meets them. They don't know he's been raised from the dead. He meets them on this road and he says to them, let me show you why all of the prophecies said I had to suffer and die before I could go into glory. And he explained to them how the scriptures pointed to that fact. Even Matthew chapter 122, uh, which is behind me on the screen, you'll see points to in Jesus's birth story, the prophecy The prophecy that says that everything that happened in Jesus' life in his birth story was to fulfill the word spoken by the prophets. The prophets all pointed to Jesus as Messiah. And when we come into this Advent season, when we come to the Christmas season, we need to remember who this Jesus is that we worship. And the Old Testament prophets tell us so much about that. As we come to our text this morning, Psalm 110, we're going to see the power of Jesus on display. So often in this season of Christmas, in the Advent season, and when we're thinking of Christmas, we think of Jesus when our mind goes to his arrival in the nativity. 
As I was just this yesterday afternoon, my wife and I were traveling through the community going about our day, and we see little nativity scenes set up in a few of the front yards and displays of Jesus' birth. And so our minds at Christmas time so often can think of Jesus in that sweet eight pound, six ounce version of Jesus, baby Jesus. And we look at and we see baby Jesus in the nativity and we can forget that that baby came to live a life of power and authority and would be ruler of all, king of kings and lord of lords. And so when we do see the infant in the nativity displaying God's humility to come and be like us and to be vulnerable and all of those things that are on display through Jesus coming in the manger, we need to remember that he came to live a life, ultimately to go to a cross, to three days later take his life up again so that he would be exalted rightly as King of King and Lord of Lords. That is the Jesus that we worship. And we can rejoice in that. Our series title we've called, We Rejoice, A Weary World Rejoices. And we can rejoice even in our weariness because of who Jesus is. Because of the Jesus that we see as we're going to look closely at Psalm 110. We can rejoice because we have an eternal king and high priest. If you're able, would you stand out of reverence for God's word as I read Psalm 110. This short psalm of just seven verses. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. King Jesus, we thank you this morning for the opportunity to study your word, to exalt you as king and high priest. I pray that every soul in this room would know you, Jesus, and they would know you as your word tells us to know you as king of kings and lord of lords. Holy Spirit, would you move and do what only you can do in this time together, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. As I reread that text, let me just commend the amazing teachers that Corey and Lucas have had as they read for us beautifully. You ever think you can't pronounce Melchizedek? Just go see Lucas. He'll help you. All right? But as we come to this Psalm 110, this is the most quoted psalm in all of the New Testament. Psalm 110 is used by Jesus, Peter, David over and over again. There are 11 direct references to this psalm, quoting it exactly, primarily verses 1 and 4. There's 14 other references that are sort of made by inference to this psalm. This is a psalm that Jesus himself used to describe who he was. And so if we want to understand who this Jesus is that we worship at Christmas time, the Jesus who came to be with us, Emmanuel, God with us, we must look at this psalm to understand who he is and what he is going to do. And it begins with the words again, the Lord says to my Lord. 
That's a confusing statement for us because both we see the Lord capitalized, although that first Lord in many of your Bibles is probably all the letters are capitalized. And then the second Lord, it is also capitalized, but not all the letters. And we're wondering who's talking to who. When we go to the original context or the original language, we see that the Lord in all caps is God himself, God the Father, Yahweh. It says to my Lord, this is David, by the way, writing this Psalm. He says to my Lord, sit at my right hand. And that second Lord is Adonai. God says to my Lord, David speaking this, and we'll explain what that means a little bit further in just a few moments, but says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The first promise of this psalm is that Jesus is king and he is king forever. Jesus, verse one says, will rule over his enemies. His enemies will literally be his footstool. His footstool, a place of total domination. A place where they have no argument but to say, Jesus is ruler of all. They will be utterly destroyed. And the promise that he makes there in verse 1 is explained on exactly how that will happen or the means of that to happen in verses 2 and 3. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies, one. And two, your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power. In holy garments from the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. The means or the explanation of how this will happen is described, and it's very poetic. The Psalms are always or most often very poetic. These are, in fact, songs of worship. David writing this Psalm, explaining that Jesus will rule over all of his enemies. They will be his footstool. And God says that he will send forth from Zion and he will rule in the scepter, which is an indication or is a descriptor of his rule and reign as king will be in place even in the midst of his enemies. Jesus, it says, will rule, he says, will rule over all the nations. There won't be a place, this psalm tells us, where Jesus' rule is not known. There won't be any place in the world where Jesus' rule as king is not known. Many of us have had the opportunity to travel to other countries, depart from our own nation. And if you've been to some countries, there's sometimes some places where you are longing to come back home to the freedom and all the things that we enjoy as Americans. And and we can kind of elevate, of course, our nation. And as Americans, we feel strongly about that. We feel passionate about that. Just so we know, there is a place, there is going to be a time where Jesus' rule, it will be known everywhere. There is not going to be any doubt of who is in authority. We can be in other places and we can think, well, I'm an American and so I can get away with doing this or I have the freedom to do this because we sort of have that built up into us. Just know there's a future coming for you, friends, for all of us, where Jesus' rule will reach the ends of the earth and no one will be able to question it. No one will doubt that Jesus is king. Today, sometimes in our, we are, grow weary, we grow anxious, we have fears because It seems as if Jesus' rule, perhaps over our own lives, is known, but we don't see that rule existing out there in the world. And we exhaust ourselves trying to make that happen, trying to long for that to happen, and sometimes we just can't see it happening at all. This psalm promises us that there is a day coming where Jesus will rule over all the nations, and there won't be any doubt No one will doubt who is king. 
Verse 3 describes the army that will help accomplish this. It says that his people will join him freely. And in a sense, they will volunteer on the day of power and arrive in holy garments prepared for battle. And their number will be like the dew on the earth. Just in the same way, sometimes we use the illustration or God's word uses the illustration of sand. And you can't imagine being able to count the sand at the sea. In the same way, as we wake up in the morning, you see the dew on the grass. It's impossible to count the myriads of dew drops that exist on the ground. There will be a great army that joins King Jesus in accomplishing this. And this army will be filled with youth, with zeal, and with the ability. This is who King Jesus is. Unless we doubt, if you have any questions, well, David wrote this psalm. Isn't David the king who's, maybe he's describing himself. We can look at Matthew chapter 22 and the way that Jesus, in one of the places, it's one of the many places that he uses this psalm himself to describe. And what does he do? He answers the question of the Pharisees, who is the Christ? Who is the Messiah? Who is the one that all the prophets that they've been longing to see would come and restore Israel, would come and do what God has promised that he would do with Israel. Well, this is exactly how that conversation goes. Look at verse 41. Now, now, when the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question. They are usually asking Jesus questions, by the way. This time he asks them a question. What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? And they answered back, by the way, correctly, they answered him, the son of David, which... The Christ would be the son of David. That's what the prophecies all said. And he says to them, how is it that David in the spirit calls him Lord saying, here's Psalm 110, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? David wouldn't refer to the Lord in that way if he was talking about in this Psalm, his son. No, he would refer to him as his son. And just like happens when Jesus sometimes asks questions and no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. <laughs> you have a question for Jesus? You want to know who he is? He has told you who he is. And he says it right here. I am the king of kings. I am the one that David prophesied about that said would rule over all of the enemies and the enemies would be my footstool. We are often so weary because we're ultimately really insecure. As we think about kings, I know in our context, again, we don't as often long for kings. We did away with kings, you know, in that first war, all right? And we're not really looking, we're not a people who look to kings for authority, just kind of, again, in our nature. But the people of Israel, they longed for a king. And so in the same way they longed for a king, while we might not say we want a king, we do long for the things that kings provided, security, safety, identity. And we look for those things in the world, don't we? We try to figure out ways to protect ourselves, to guard our hearts, to protect our families, to ensure that we're safe. We look for all of these things from the world. And as often happens when we do that, guess what happens? We wear ourselves out. We exhaust ourselves. We become weary as we strive to figure out a way to sort of keep our family together, to keep our lives safe, to guard ourselves. This psalm, my invitation to you this morning is to stop trying 
to find safety, security, salvation, hope from within yourself and acknowledge King Jesus as King Jesus, the only one who can truly provide all of those things. In Christ, we have a king who will destroy all of the enemies. Any enemy that is coming against you, whether that's some personal attack in your life, some stress in your life, some struggle in your life, or the enemies that you see out in the world that you're so anxious about that you think, if we don't deal with these, they're gonna come and get us. Just know that there's a day coming when King Jesus will destroy every enemy and there's not one of them that will stand. They will all be his footstools. The enemies will not last. In King Jesus, we have a king who will execute perfectly justice and mercy. As we are called to live that out as Christians, sometimes we struggle with exactly knowing how to do that. King Jesus will rule perfectly. When we see him and we acknowledge his rule, we see him in his kingdom, we will know that he is doing everything exactly as he should. It will be right. And in King Jesus, we have a king who will rule over all and there won't be any doubts or questions about who he is or his authority. This is the king that came at Christmas that we worship. I wanna give you a picture of a king that has authority, that is ruling, that is not absent, that is not distant from you. You have a king who rules and reigns today and forever and ever and ever. Well, this king is not just king and the power of who the Messiah would be and who Jesus is. This king is also a priest forever. With the first promise that the psalmist made was that the God would say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. In verse four, the second promise of this psalm is made. The Lord has sworn, sworn, I can't say, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. You're a priest forever. In Israel, there were three roles given to the ruling class or the authorities over the people. There were kings, there were prophets, and there were priests. Those were the three authority figures in the context of Israel. And they couldn't, they would never be two people of the same people holding those same offices because they came from different tribes. The priests came from the tribe of, tribe of Levi. The kings came from the tribe of Judah. By the way, Matthew's genealogy of Jesus, just as a quick aside, it traces Jesus' line back to King David, one to fulfill these prophecies, but also to say he is a king in the line of Judah. He is from the tribe of Judah, all right? That's why he's referred to sometimes as the Lion of Judah, all right? He was from that tribe, but Jesus is also a priest. He is a king and a priest forever. And this Melchizedek character you might remember him from our study in the book of Hebrews a couple years ago, but he is in the line of Melchizedek who was the one character in the Bible who was like Jesus as a type of Christ pointing to Jesus who was also king and priest. He's the only other one and he pointed to Jesus who would be king and high priest after the order of Melchizedek. When we read of Melchizedek, by the way, the Bible helps us to understand that he's pointing to Jesus because Melchizedek's birth is not recorded, nor is his death, which is very rare for the priests of old. Usually their whole life would be recorded in scripture. Melchizedek's isn't because, again, he is pointing to the Messiah who has no beginning and no end because he is a high priest forever. Our king is priest forever. Hebrews 6, verse 19 and 20 declares this. 
we have this sure and steadfast anchor for the soul. This is what gives us hope, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The author of Hebrew is telling us that we have a high priest who went into the Holy of Holies and made the final sacrifice. After making the sacrifice for sins, which we are going to remember as we receive communion this morning, after making that sacrifice for sins, it was the final sacrifice. He sat down because there was no other sacrifice to be made for sin. This is what our high priest has done for us. Again, so often we grow weary in this life because we're longing for a relationship with God, whether we know it or not, we're trying to find our way to God. And in our means of doing that, we think we've got to do something on our own. We've got to figure out some way to make our way to God. And we do that in all sorts of different ways. Most of the time, it's some sort of proving our own holiness from within. And God's word says, you don't have to do that. You have a high priest. You have an advocate. This is the anchor for your soul. It's that Jesus entered in and made a sacrifice for sins, for the sins of the world. In Jesus, in the Christ, we have a high priest who perfectly mediated our relationship with God. He perfectly mediated that. In Christ, we have a priest who made that final sacrifice. And in Christ, we have a priest who will minister to us forever. This is what Paul is thinking about when he writes Romans chapter eight. We know the verse, Romans eight twenty eight that tells us, that promises us that all things, God will work all things for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. All things will be used by God, will be worked for good on our behalf. Do you wanna know how he does that? He does that through our high priest, King, King Jesus. Look at Romans eight thirty three. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, God who has made us right with him. Who is to condemn? No one can. Why? Because Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. This is what our high priest has done. This is the promise of God. 1 Timothy 2, 5. There is now, therefore, one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus, the Messiah, the high priest who made final sacrifice for sins. He atoned for our sins so that we could be reconciled to God. Here's the beauty. This king of kings and Lord of lords whose rule will reach the end of the earth, the other power that he has as high priest is that he has made sacrifice for sins and there is nothing that can stop him from reconciling us to God. Nothing will get in the way. Do you hear that? Nothing will get in the way of Jesus reconciling you to God because that is what our eternal high priest does. That's what he does. Well, as our great high priest, our king priest and ruler of all, these first four verses have looked past tense, somewhat backwards at Jesus's life, who he is as king and high priest. Five through seven, which I've got to go quickly here, point to the future 
of who he is and what he will do and how this will happen. The Lord is at your right hand. This is now Jesus speaking of God. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. This sounds pretty morbid. Corpses will fill the earth. Why? Because King Jesus will rule and destroy every enemy that has ever come against him. He did that on the cross when he defeated death. And when he comes again, he will finally do it against every enemy that exists. And every ruler that thinks that he has a better way, every authority that thinks that he is stronger and mightier than King Jesus, he will be laid down. And yes, it will be a bloody scene as King Jesus rules over the earth. By the way, this is what John was told and shown in Revelation chapter 19. Then I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written on, uh, that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, pointing back to the cross. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun with a loud voice he called to the birds that fly directly overhead, come gather for the great supper of God. This is the future rule and reign of King Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords. The Jesus who came in that manger would grow up, would live a perfect life, lay down his life for us as our mediator, conquering death and sin. And three days later, take his life up again. And when he comes back, this is what it's going to look like. He will rule. We can have hope in that. The humble king took on flesh to be born like us. And now he sits at the right hand of the father waiting until his perfect timing to come and declare to the world that he is king and priest forever. And on that day, we will enjoy a great feast with our king can you imagine that? We, me, a pitiful, filthy, worthless sinner will sit down at the table of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and enjoy a banquet with him. If you've put your faith in Jesus, you will too. That's the hope that we have. And that's why we come to the table this morning to be reminded this table is just a foretaste of the feast that we will enjoy with King Jesus one day. Our worship team is going to come and they're going to lead us in a song of prayer that we ask King Jesus, help us to just abide in you. Help us to not grow too weary that we can't make it <laughs> so we can last until this day comes when your rule is known over all the earth. I want to invite you this morning.
If you're weary, are you exhausted? If that's because you've been trying to figure out your relationship with God, can I just tell you, rejoice. You have a great king and high priest who welcomes you solely based on what he has done. That's what we remember when we come to the table this morning. So I invite you, before you come forward, I'll give some instructions about how we're gonna do that. But before you come forward, just bow your heads and worship him as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. If you're weary, just confess that to him and lay that down at his feet and ask him to come and just encourage you to remind you of who he is, his power and his might. Yes, he is an infant in the manger, but he is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He lived a life to reconcile us to God. Um, Our elders are gonna serve the table in just a moment. We'd ask that our outside wings, you guys come first. You can kind of come through this way, go back through the center aisle and then back to your seats. Um, And once those outside sections have received from the table, you guys in the center here, you guys also exit on the outsides, come through. You'll receive bread from our elders and then juice at the table and then back to your seats and we'll take communion together. Um, If you do need a gluten-free option, that's available right here at the center of the table. You can just decline the bread that is offered to you by one of our elders and uh, come and pick up uh, your, your bread in the center of the table. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And as we pause now to remember your sacrifice for us, I pray that we'd be filled with hope where there might be weariness, where there was anxiousness, where we felt hopeless, would you just restore us? We pray these things in Christ's mighty name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for the preaching of God's word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m., and we look forward to meeting you there soon. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God, the good of the city, and the hope of the world. Oh, oh, you say